I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6. And uh, I want to talk for a few moments this morning on this thought, uh, tending the fire. Tending the fire. How many know we don't start fires? We didn't start the fire. Come on, how many know that song? Some of y'all are like, I don't know what to say. Should I say amen? Yes, it's okay. Don't lie. You go to hell for lying, all right? We don't start fires. We tend fires. God sends the fire, and then we tend the fire. Let me say that one more time. God t- sends the fire, and then we tend the fire. I was thinking about this message as I was preparing my heart for this this week. I used to stay with my papa and my granny growing up, and in, 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 my, in their bedroom was this massive stove. And it'd be in the middle of the summer, and my, my papa talked about, I got cold in my shoulder. I, I didn't know what that was, but it's 95 degrees outside. He got cold in his shoulder. And he said, I'm going to build a fire. I'm like, build a fire? I'm trying to find some air. And he built a fire. It was 100 degrees outside and 98 degrees inside the house. And that, that fire, you go over and just open it up, and it was glowing orange with all that firewood burning. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to raise my kids in the fire of God. We don't have time to, to build some little lukewarm, flamey thing and, and act like church is just something you do on Sunday. I'm going to tell you right now, the way to change culture is not to just adapt to it and get sucked up in it. The way to change it is to tend the fire of God because I have found out that when the fire falls and we tend it appropriately, people will come to the fire and their life will be transformed forever. Leviticus chapter 6, verse number 8. Let's preach for about 25, 30 minutes here. Lord, forgive me. Let's see what happens. Leviticus 6, verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command Aaron and his sons, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, say all night. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers. He shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. And then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Somebody say every morning. And lay the burnt offering in order. Oh, there we go, order. On it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Help us, Lord, to steward your fire. 
Help us not to be a church who has an occasional blaze of glory. But may we be a methodic people, a committed people, a people who understand the price of tending the fire and have signed up to pay the price because we know the power of your presence transforms lives. I ask you today to help me teach and preach and I pray that the church would just even come into greater unity as you provide context, direction, and vision for our future. Help me to articulate clearly the heart of God in this message. And I pray, Lord God, that anybody who's singing off a different page, they'll find themselves adjusting and making adjustments so that we can move forward together in the glorious things that you have prepared for us as a church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. There's something wonderful going on. How many would agree with me God's up to something good in the church? Just this past week, I told this story on Wednesday night. Many of you were here and some watched it by live stream. There's something going on. I'm watching God do something fantastic and just absolutely amazing in the lives of many of our young people. During Wild Ones last weekend, several hundred youth came. Several of, several, uh, uh, most of them were our students. There were several other youth groups that came from other places and God began to do a work in the hearts of our young ladies and young men. And I, was, I began to see the power of God touch lives and people began to be transformed. And I watched sons and daughters lay some stuff down and just pick up a mantle of authority in God they'd never known before. Now, some of this music that they sing, I don't know. Some of these lights and some of this stuff on the stage, some of y'all just endure it all. But I'm going to tell you what right now. I wouldn't take anything for God doing something among our sons and daughters. I don't care what it looks like, what it sounds like. If Jesus is in it and the Spirit of God is doing it, I want to be right in the middle of it. And I just began to see something. And you know, sometimes when I see God do something I've never seen him do before, y'all need to stop asking God to make adjustments and we need to start making our own adjustments to what God is doing. Because sometimes God will do something that you ain't never seen or experienced before, but you are, it is unmistakably the hand of God doing it. And how many know we have the responsibility to tend it and move with it as God does it, not complain that it don't look like something we ever seen before. If you've ever seen it before, it's past. How many know God is doing something fresh in the earth today? If you think God is in a box and is always going to reproduce moments that you enjoyed in your past, I'm thankful for what God did in the past, but I'm even more excited that God ain't out of stuff yet. And as I began to watch God move among the sons and daughters of our church, it was powerful. And I know God is up to something because my son came, he and some of his buddies, and I told this story on Wednesday night. This is just an amazing story. But they all come into their mentorship group. Where's where's Taylor and all them at? Taylor and... uh, who else was with them? Sam, where you at, Sam? Wave your hand, Sam. And Isaiah, where you at? Where you at, Isaiah? Got your gold chain on over there? Yeah. <laughs> We're styling and profiling today. These brothers went with Pastor Josh on their mentorship on this past week. I drove through the Walgreens parking lot to get a prescription for one of my kids. My kids were sick this week, and I look over. I see this big truck over in the parking lot, and it looks like Pastor Josh's. And sure enough, I see these kids all out in the parking lot, and one of them is my son. And I look at my watch and I'm like, man, they're supposed to be in math class. What is going on? 
So I go drop the prescription off and I, and I drive over to see and I roll down the window. I'm like, Pastor Josh, what are you doing with my kids out of school? And they said, Isaiah, Dad, God spoke to us to come to Walgreens to pray. I said, pray for who? Pray for what? Oh, the Lord told us there's going to be somebody here to pray for. So they go to the pharmacy at Walgreens to pray, and they got all these things God told them to pray for, a woman with a bag and a man that was going to need prayer, and this man has a swollen eye because he got a mess in his eye, and it's horrible. And they go back to the pharmacy, and they pray for the boy, the man at the pharmacy, and God heals the man's eye right there in Walgreens. You know something's happening when the church is the church after it leaves the building. There's a lot of people that can do a show on Sunday from 10 to 12, but they walk out the door and they disconnect from what God did and they act like they don't even, have never even been in church. I'm telling you right now, what God is trying to do is penetrate culture with the church that is not intimidated, insecure, or even embarrassed about knowing God. I am tired of everybody else having great courage, but the church acting like we got to just hide in the closet and wait for the, the Lord to come rest us from the world that is not the New Testament church the New Testament church had more miracles outside of the temple than she ever experienced inside the temple something is happening and and then I'm in that meeting on uh, that why was meeting and the preacher on such Saturday night I never even met the brother I, I've heard about him I'm a friend of his on social media but I never shook his hand never hugged his neck didn't even know who he was, and he came in preaching. And at the end of service, the glory of the Lord was being poured out. The glory of the Lord was being poured out. And, and, and I'm sitting right there on the front holding the baby. And while I'm holding the baby, he starts prophesying. He said, when you walked in my room tonight, he said, I saw a three-month calendar hanging on your spirit. He said, and God told me for the next 90 days, this house is going to be full of encounter. Some of y'all can't even catch what I just said. But you need to make some adjustments in your expectation and you need to recognize we are stepping in prophetically to a season of, of unusual visitation. And I just want to declare some of y'all getting ready to be ruined of normal forever. God is getting ready to cut you away from normal church experience and when God gets through with you, you will have no path back to normal. God is going to do something that will shake the rest of your life. And I don't know. I ought to know. Because four years ago during the 90-day revival, God wrecked my life. You say, he wrecked your life. He wrecked my life. You hear the words coming out of my mouth? He wrecked my life of normal. I was a churchy, starchy, A, B, C, D, one, two, three person, especially in church. Come to church, I'm like, what song is next? Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And then I came to a 90-day revival, and I laid in the floor more than I stood on my feet. And you say, well, you ought to get up, you ought to try. You ought to try to get up when the glory of Yahweh is sitting down on your being. 
People are like, I don't know why he fell in the floor so much. I'll tell you why I fell in the floor. Are you watching me? I fell in the floor because God sat down on my life. And when God sits down on your life, you will fall in the floor. You might lay there a while till it gets that adultery and that cheating and that lying out of you. And yeah, uh-huh. That's why there's so much craziness in the church. God ain't sat on nobody in a while. But God's getting ready to sit down on some people. And he's getting ready to transform our hearts. And we will never be the same again. Let me read my sermon. Just get out of y'all's way. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There are many patterns and types in the Old Testament that you and I must read, understanding that they are fulfilled and revealed in clarity in the New Testament. For instance, in the Old Testament, you see the Passover. If you look through a natural lens, the Passover looks like nothing more than a meal and a feast. But if you look through spiritual lens, you understand that the, fast, the Passover feast of the Old Testament was a prophetic type and shadow of the person and work of Jesus coming in the new. In the Old Testament, the Passover was about the bread and it was about the cup. In the New Testament, the bread represents the body and the juice represents, the juice represents his blood. And when you see the blood of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, it's really a prophetic foretype and a foreshadowing of the blood of Jesus that would come in the New Covenant where when we apply the blood to the doorpost of our heart, just like in the Old Testament when they put the blood on the doorpost, the death angel passed over their house in the new covenant now that we've applied the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of our heart how many can testify that the death angel still has to pass over come on it ain't the blood of a, of a lamb in your backyard that made the death angel pass over it was the blood of the lamb of God that made the death angel pass over and this morning some of us are still alive because the blood of Jesus made the enemy keep on walking how many are thankful that the devil came to try to destroy your life but the devil just had to keep on walking because if you're washed in the blood you're guarded and protected by the lamb how the Old Testament is full of type and shadow. It is projecting and prophesying of new covenant realities that will come in the future. We could go throughout the entire Old Testament and show the prophetic layer that exists, the scarlet thread hanging out Rahab's window. How many know that scarlet thread is weaved throughout the entire Bible? It's just a prophetic picture and a prophetic testimony of what is coming. But when we come to the issue of the fire of God in the Old Testament, it is a type and shadow of the power of God's Spirit and the glory of God that would come at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant in Acts chapter 2. As we study and read about the fire of God in the Old Testament, it produces revelation regarding the fire of God that is operative and to be expected in this covenant of grace that we are living in now. I think sometimes we read the Old Testament and we see the fire of God and then we flip over into Matthew, into the New Testament and we think that a God of fire in the Old Testament turned into some limp-wristed God in the New Testament. But I want to tell you that the God of fire in the Old Testament is no less ablaze in the New Testament. In fact, this new covenant that we are living in is indeed a covenant of fire. The covenant of grace that we have in Christ was never intended to be a fireless covenant. 
John the Baptist reminds us of this when he is baptizing converts in the River Jordan. We are told that while he's baptizing, they're coming up and then Jesus comes walking upon the scene and he stops the baptism service. John the Baptist stops the baptism service. He said, I indeed baptize you in water. But there is coming one after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to latch it. Listen, he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus said that I came to set the world on fire. Oh, how I wish it were already ablaze. See, what I want to tell you today is that according to Hebrews chapter 12, our God is an all-consuming fire. This is not a fireless gospel. This is not a watered down gospel. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, my Bible and your Bible tell me that a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind filled that upper room. Listen, and cloven tongues, divided tongues of fire sat down on each of them. I want to tell you that the new covenant of grace that we are living in today is not a fireless covenant. In fact, it is a covenant that provided fire for everybody in the house. Look at your neighbor, tell them everybody in the house. This is not a fire for the preachers. This is not a fire for the worship team. This is not a fire for the pastors. This is not a fire for the elders. This is a fire for everybody from the oldest to the youngest. Granny and grandpa, mom and dad, sons and daughters. The spirit of the Lord is being poured out in holy fire. This God that we serve is an all-consuming fire. We need the fire of God's spirit. We need the fire of God in the church. I believe God is trying to say in this complacent, cold, lukewarm society, many, 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 many people in churches have gotten lukewarm. Jesus, don't let me preach like this. It's why everything now in the kingdom is optional. But you know what? I want to remind you and I this morning that there are some things that are not optional. There are some things that are not up for your choice or multiple choice or our discussion. God reserves the right to pierce the heavens and crack open this, this experience that we have and descend on his people with fire. There's nothing worse than going to a place where fire was supposed to be burning and no fire is burning. And I'm terribly convinced that that, that there are people in the earth who come to our churches looking for something that can burn out the dross and the bondage and the pain and all of the hurt and all of the addiction and all the bondage and instead of offering them holy fire that can purge the heart what we offer is exactly what they found everywhere else they went dear God may we be consumed until there's nothing left of us and all that they see is the presence of Jesus We need God's spirit to burn like fire. If you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to have fire. One way to think about ancient sacrifices are like gifts given to God. In the Old Testament, when they performed sacrifices, ancient Israelites gave to God some of what they believed God had given them. They were expressing by this their close relationship with God and seek, they were seeking to deepen their bond with God. It was as if when they brought the lamb and the bull and the bullock and all the offerings of the Old Testament, they were gifts given to God. In the Hebrew Bible, sacrifice always involved transformation. 
One of the most common ways to transform something is to burn it. Destruction removes the animal from the ordinary realm and transfers it into a transcendent realm. The Bible tells us that God, listen to this, God was often pleased with the smoke of a burning sacrifice. He didn't call it a burning sacrifice, he called it a pleasing odor. In the book of Leviticus chapter 1 verse 13, when God smelt the burning of an animal sacrifice, boy, I'm telling you right now, people read the Old Testament and the animal rights people go nuts. Oh my God, God was a whore. Listen, God created those animals. I know he did, but many of them were saved. Many of them were kept through the flood because God told Noah after this flood is over, I want you to offer me a sacrifice of worship. Have you ever thought about it? Does it not seem a little morbid to you, Pastor, that God called a burning sacrifice a pleasing odor? It's only morbid if you don't understand where God is coming from. Why would God smell smoke of a burning sacrifice and call it pleasing? I'll tell you why. Because when he smelt the odor of smoke, it meant that that sacrifice was consumed. Don't miss this. Everything that sacrifice represented was gone. This is good news for people with the past. Some of you can't offer a sacrifice because you're too in love with yourself. I'm not going to get no help. It's 1239. Lord, help me real quick here, Jesus. I see people counting the chicken drumsticks in their head right now. But I want to tell you before you go eat your chicken, some people are too infatuated with themselves to understand the power of a, of a smoky odor that would be pleasing to God. Why would a burning sacrifice please God when he smelt the smoke of something on fire? I'll tell you why. He knew that that sacrifice would never be what it used to be. And for people in this room who've ever had a past, for people in this room who've ever been bound, for people in this room who've ever been addicted, for people in this room who've ever made mistakes in your past that you wish you could forget, you ought to thank God that every time you lay yourself on an altar, and God consumes your life with his holy fire, the smoke of what's burning sends a signal to heaven that your past has been destroyed. Everything about who you were, every mistake you've ever made, everything you've ever been addicted to, burn it up, Lord Jesus. Burn it up until there's nothing left. And when the smoke of my dying flesh touches the nostrils of God, God said, that's what I've been waiting on, Wallace. You to die. And now that you're dead, I'm going to send my spirit and raise you up in the newness of life. Somebody thank God for the smoke. I said, somebody thank God for the smoke. The smoke is a reminder. I may not be perfect, but I am forgiven. The man I used to be is no more. I'm alive in Christ today. That's why God called it pleasing. You ready for this? When God smelled the smoke, he said, no longer do I smell the rank sin of Kevin. Y'all sit out there and act like I'm the only one who stinks in sin. 
I know the truth about all of us. You can put on a three-piece suit or a Tommy Bahama shirt. You can put on flip-flops or cardigans. I don't care what you put on. You can wear your nice shoes, your nice perm, your nice weave. You can put on Estee Lauder and try to cover up your past. But everybody in this room, until God kills the old you and the old you dies in the flame of his grace, you'll never be raised to the newness of life. There's too much of us and not enough of him in the church today. You can't serve God without fire. I could go through the different offerings and I haven't, the, the, the different offerings that the priest brought to the Lord. There's the grain offering. There is the, the grain offering, which is when they took a handful of fine flour and unleavened baked goods, mixed it with oil and they threw it on the fire and they burnt that. That was the grain offering. It was a gift to God. There was the sacrifice offering. The offering of fellowship found in Leviticus 7. This is when it was a herd of, or a flock of animals and they separated. I'm not trying to be gross or uh, not trying to be off color, but they separated the innards from the skin and they burnt a separate set of, of innards on this place and then they took another portion of the animal and gave it to the priest and, and this was for a fellowship offering between uh, them and God. And then there was the sin offering. This dealt with disruption in relationship between human beings and God. It's found in Leviticus 4 and the offering of the sin offering depended on the identity and status of the person required to make it. The chief priest, for example, had to bring a bull for himself, whereas ordinary Israelites brought a female goat or a lamb. Those who were too poor to afford a goat or a sheep could offer birds, and an offering of a grain flour was acceptable from those who were very poor. And then you move to the guilt offering, Leviticus 7. 7, 1 through 10 dealt with distinct categories of wrongdoing that disrupted the divine human relationship between God and man like unintentional desecration of sacred things. They prescribed sacrifice. The prescribed sacrifice for the guilt offering was a flock animal. And uh, as with the sacrifice of well-being and the sin offering, the innards were burned in the altar of the fire uh, on the fire and the animal's flesh was eaten by the priest. Th th those are different offerings prescribed in the book of Leviticus. But then we get to the burnt offering and the burnt offering is a different offering altogether the burnt offering could be a herd or a flock animal uh, it could be a bull a sheep a goat or a bird the difference between the burnt offering and every other offering offered in the Levitical uh, code is that when you give a burnt offering you don't separate anything you lay the entire animal on the altar and you burn it all. And what God was saying to the Levites and what he's saying to us through the Levites is that when I send the fire, I want you to keep the fire burning. And the way they kept the fire burning was twofold. Number one, they had to every single morning get a broom and sweep off the ashes of yesterday's fire. This is where we in the church have got to understand what it means to tend the fire. Because 
In Leviticus 9, everybody put your finger on Leviticus 9. I want to show you something. Leviticus 6, I read to you about the burnt offering. What is interesting is in Leviticus 6, fire had not fallen yet. It was a prescription for how they should tend the fire when the fire came. But the fire doesn't fall until Leviticus 9. Look at the last verse of Leviticus 9, verse 24. Leviticus 9 says these words, And fire fell from out of the presence of the Lord. This fire that would be sent to do priestly service was not a fire set by a man. Some of y'all can't handle this one. He tells them in Leviticus 6, fire's going to fall, and when it does fall, you got to tend it. And then in Leviticus 9, if you look at verses 1 through 23, Aaron and the sons of the priests take 23 verses to get every sacrifice in place like God told them to. And for 23 verses, they make sacrifices to God. And in the 24th verse, fire falls from heaven. What does this mean, Pastor? It means God's waiting on us to put the sacrifice on the altar. When you and I get the sacrifice of our lives on the altar, fire will come from heaven. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live trying to create my own fires. What's the danger? The danger is found in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, when two men who were sons of the priests, namely Nadab and Abihu, God, I wish I had time to teach this. Nadab and Abihu saw the fire fall in Leviticus 9.24. They were mesmerized at the fire of God. So what did they do? They went into their own kitchen. They got out their own pan and they started their own fire and brought it back to the temple. And the fire of God came out of the holy place and destroyed Nadab and Abihu. Now, pastor, that is the most horrific horrible thing I have ever heard in my life that God would judge two men and kill them for bringing fire. But the problem is not with God. The problem is that two men saw the holy fire that fell in Leviticus 9 and they liked what the holy fire from heaven produced so they tried to make their own fire and the Bible called it strange fire and it doesn't mean that it was different. It means it was illegal and alien. It was literally foreign. God said, I got my own fire. Nadab and Abihu said, I think I'll set my own fire. And that is where many in the church are today. We don't want to pay the price and give our lives for the true, authentic, holy fire. What we'd rather do is find a shortcut, get two sticks, get a couple of bells and whistles, a light show and a smoke machine, and we'd like to say, we got a fire burning. God said, I don't know what you're talking about. Until somebody dies on the altar, until somebody soul is lost in the glory of the Lord you are not qualified to claim that the fire of God is burning there are people listening to me preach this and they're thinking what is he talking about my God fire and death that's the problem we have promoted and preached a gospel in the day's church that, that celebrates the flesh and rejects all sacrifice you are called Rabasha. you will never have the true authentic touch of God on your life until every ambition until every dream until every lust until everything you've ever wanted has been crucified and God is able to breathe life 
life into you and when you die to yourself and he lives in you, the greatest dreams and the greatest vision, the greatest purpose, the greatest favor that you've ever known will come to your life. So the, the greatest hindrance I could ever provide for you is to stand here today and tell you, God is celebrating your dreams. When some of you are dreaming dreams that are so small. Some of you are dreaming dreams that are all about you. Some of your ambitions lead to you, celebrate you, and glorify you. And God said, I love you too much to let you be that successful without me. I know I'm all over the place. Follow me. Luke 9, 24, the fire of God falls. Luke 10, uh, Leviticus, pardon me, Leviticus 9, 24, the fire falls. Leviticus 10, 1 through 4, Nadab and Abihu build their own fire and they die. Why? Because you will either die to yourself or die in yourself. Nadab and Abihu refused to die to themselves and so they died in themselves. They built their own fire. If you want to walk with God, die to yourself. If you'll die to yourself, you'll be raised to newness of life in Christ. Now watch this. God sends the fire in Luke 9, I keep saying Luke, Leviticus 9, 1 through 24. But before the fire falls in Leviticus 6, he gives them this instruction about burnt offerings. And here's what he said. When the fire falls, not the one you set, but the one that falls. When it falls, never let it go out. Look at your neighbor say, never let it go out. My papa, never let it go out. We sweated in June and July. Never let it go out. When the fire falls, never let the fire go out. How do you keep the fire burning? You tend what God sends. He sends it, we tend it. When does he send it? When the sacrifice gets on the altar. What are we waiting on? Sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? Your life and mine. What are you saying? It'll cost you everything. But I'm also saying it's worth everything. I know this ain't everybody, but anybody in here ever been on fire for God? Has anybody in here, you ever felt the fire of God burning in your spirit? Have you ever left normal Christianity to experience the blaze of God's glory? Can somebody help me not be, I feel so weird, but is any other, are there any other weirdos in here with me who would testify, it cost me everything, but my God, it is worth it. Yes, people talk about you. Yes, they say all you do is seek God. Yes, they talk about you having noon prayer. Yes, they talk about you praying for people at Walgreens. But when a generation turns the world upside down, it will be worth it. When we overturn Roe versus Wade and we put racism under our feet, it will be worth it. the front of this church 
with me, sister? Hallelujah. I'm telling you right now, the spirit of the living God is saying to the body of Christ globally, aren't you sick and tired of one hour and ten minute concerts? Does anybody not want to burn with holy fire that turns the world upside down? My God, if you want that, give him praise. So, fire falls in Luke 9, Leviticus 9. There's something in Luke 9 I'm supposed to be preaching today. Fire falls in Leviticus 9. Strange fire comes in Leviticus 10. But before any of that happens, God had already given instruction for tending the fire. Why? Because... Instruction will always come before the fire comes. Why? So that we don't waste what God sends. Government precedes glory. If a church don't have government, God will never send glory. Because God would never send glory without government. Glory has to rest on something. There are churches that have no government, but they want the glory of God. You can't have the glory of God if you can't have order in your church. I'm not going to get no help on this. I'm not going to get no help on this. And I'm all about chaos. Please understand, last week was utter chaos. This morning, Devin invited everybody in to organize chaos. I am all about it being free. I am all about it being loose. I don't want no stiff white, stiff Black, stiff, green, stiff, Latino, stiff. I don't want stiff anything. I want everybody in the kingdom to be free when they come in this house. There will be no, there will be no high church. Well, we coming in, waiting on the choir to march in. We don't have a choir that marches in in robes. Well, we're waiting on we're waiting on uh, we're waiting on it, Pastor, to be to be uh, uh, to be more polished. It ain't gonna get more polished. There are gonna be some Sundays we walk in we don't know what we're doing. There are gonna be some Sundays we come in we know what we're doing and God changes it all. Why does that matter? Because if you get bent out of shape when we're trying to find out where God's taking us, your attitude's gonna hinder the spirit. I ain't getting no help right here. Last week, hold on, let me fix something. Sit down, this is order. And last week, we got children being testifying and set, getting set free, and they're talking about trying to end their life, and now God gave them a reason to live, and people going out getting their babies and taking them out of children's church and saying, I'm going home, and this place is crazy. Where to preach it? We, we ain't got no order. Where's the order of service? If that's what you came for, I got 33 churches in this city I can point you to, but it ain't gonna happen in this house because I want sons and daughters to know. I'm sorry, I'm in a mood. I'm sick and tired of religious people trying to intimidate freedom. When the spirit of the Lord starts moving, it ain't time for you to bring out your checklist and start telling us what you expect in a church. God said, I'm looking for some place where people will lay on an altar and die until fire falls. I'm sorry that it took me that long to get that out. Hallelujah. We're, listen, we got to understand this whole idea of packaging church in some marketable fashion 
I'm terribly convinced it is the most antithetical expression of the New Testament church you can imagine. You read over in the book of Acts, those men just kept having prayer meeting after prayer meeting. And every time they had a prayer meeting, somebody got saved, healed, or set free. Next week, by the Spirit of God, Devin and I will sit down at a table and we'll talk about marriage. That's what I plan on preaching on next week. But there are people that say, why don't we ever preach on marriage principles? Because some of y'all don't need another principle. Some of y'all need a prayer life. I didn't get no help on that one. I believe in principles. I'm going to give you more principles next week than you know how than you know how to implement. But I'm going to tell you right now, some people want they want the blessing that comes with the crucified life without crucifying their flesh. You cannot have victory. Hold on. You cannot have victory in your marriage until both of you swallow your pride, humble yourself and come up under the mighty hand of God. I can't give you a principle to cancel out your flesh. I'm, I'm making people mad now, Deacon. Oh, God. I'm ticking all kind of people off. Fire falls. But before the fire falls, God gives them structure, order, and government. He said, when the fire falls, and I'm through with this. He said, when the fire falls, don't miss it. Two things you got to do to keep the fire burning. Number one, you got to sweep ashes off every morning. Put new wood on the fire. God's got to have something to burn. Fire doesn't fall on an empty altar. First thing you got to do is put wood on the altar. So what is the wood of the fire, Pastor? The wood of the fire is prayer, Bible reading, obeying the word, denying yourself. Every time you prefer somebody else, you're putting fuel on the fire. Yeah, it's real simple. Every time you give, you're putting fuel on the fire. Every time you let somebody have a parking place you were closer to. Every time you fill out your taxes correctly. I ain't getting no help now. I ain't getting no help right here. Well, I, Uncle Sam, take all my money. Listen, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord what is the Lord's. Every time you love your neighbor, I'm called to the nations. You can't go to the nations unless you love your neighbor first. Okay. Every time you love your spouse, What time is it, Pastor? You starting to meddle now. <laughs> so every morning, every day, I know this is heavy, but there's no break in tending fire. Amen. And the beautiful thing is this. There comes a point when you, when you are serving the Lord and tending the fire where it's not a job anymore. Don't feel like work to just be with him. It don't feel like work for Kevin to be put in his place and God to be put on the throne of my heart. It don't feel like work no more. Now watch this. What's the other component for keeping the fire burning? Don't miss this. You have to put a big enough sacrifice on the altar 
to let it burn all night long. That's why the, the burnt offering was different than the other five offerings. The other five offerings, you only burnt a portion of the animal. In the burnt sacrifice, you kill the sacrifice and go lay the whole thing on the altar. Why? Because God don't want a part of you. He wants all of you. How do you know that the fire will stay burning overnight? Because if you put a significant enough sacrifice on the altar, the fire will have something to consume all night long. And so here's one reason some of us in this house lose the fire of God so quickly. Because we only give him a part of our life. But God don't just want a part of your life. God wants all. He said, what I want you to do, Wallace, I want you to get saved. Give me your life. Let me nail all of you to the cross. Remember I told you God didn't just die for me. Jesus died as me. He nailed all of me to, am I making sense today? He nailed all of me to the cross. And when he raised me up from the death of my sins, he raised me to total new life in Christ. And every day I live, I have the pleasure of not living unto myself for me, but dying to myself and living unto God. And the more I die, the greater he lives through me. This is heavy. Brian, help me. I'm shifting. I'm done. I don't know what God wants to do in this time of refreshing. That's what I believe we're in. The last time this happened four years ago, you need to know this about the church you're a part of. This church, when we first moved in this building, we moved everybody from the old East Lake Church of God campus right across the street, right down the road. We had about 250 people in this building that's not a lot of people in this building for six months five months it felt like there was a demon sitting on the sound booth laughing at me every Sunday I couldn't preach I couldn't get a breakthrough we couldn't have we didn't have a miracle I mean we were I, it was plowing plowing this is just five years ago we bought this building in 2013 What is absolutely crazy is that the week before Super Bowl in 2014, the week before I am preaching in this building to a couple of hundred people, it, was, it felt like death. And ain't nobody else feels that way sometimes except the preacher. And if you ever had to preach through a, through a storm and through spiritual warfare, you would help your preacher preach sometimes if you know that sometimes he's wrestling stuff while he's pre or she's preaching. You sit up there looking at people like, I don't know where he's going. Who cares? Just say amen. amen. God, don't let him feel like he's out there all by himself. I was begging people for an amen. Couldn't buy an amen. You believe the Lord's good? Say amen. One little old deaf lady in the back. Amen. She didn't even know what I was talking about. People just staring. I'm preaching. Oh, sweating and hollering and preaching. Nothing happening. And one day I'm standing about right here. And I hear God say to me audibly two words. It changed my life forever. Right here in this altar, I heard God say to me, watch this. 
Now, y'all here today, and we had breakthrough, and God's glory touched lives, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't that way until the fire fell. God said, watch this, and I stopped preaching. I said, watch what? People thought I was losing my mind. He said, watch this. That was the week before the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl came the next week. We were in a young adult meeting. My friend Damon Thompson came to preach Friday night, preached Saturday night. Good, good services. Power of God moved. He came. I asked him to stay over that Sunday morning. He stayed over that Sunday morning. That Sunday morning, fire fell. When the fire of God fell, God spoke to me, and that's when we used to have seats up on the stage. The power of God hit me and slayed me in the power of God. I was laying on my face, and God said, I want you to come back to church tonight. I said, God, we got a Super Bowl party planned at 6 p.m. Ain't nobody finna come to church tonight. I said, ain't nobody coming to church. And God said, I'll be here. I said, okay, well, I changed my mind. Then. That's, that's how it's going to be. That night, without any advertisement, without any time to make it known in the community, 1,100 people showed back up to church that night. And God spoke to me that night, and he said to me, for the next three months, 90 days, I'm going to pour my spirit out on this house, and everybody who connects their life to this, I'll change their future. I'll put my spirit in the heart of their children, and I will let something happen that they'll never forget. And I'm telling you that for 90 days, glory hit this house. We baptized 1,100 people in 90 days. I watched God heal blind people. I watched God heal sisters in our church who've been trying to get pregnant for years. And babies started popping up all over the place. Oh, hallelujah. After we came out of that 90-day revival, the church exploded. That 90-day revival shifted my life. Why are you saying all this? Because last weekend was the five-year anniversary of that. Last Saturday, a man who did not know me, he doesn't know anything about my history here, he walked into that pulpit and said, I saw 90 days of calendar for the next three months on your being when you walked in on the five-year anniversary. You say, Pastor, that's just all fun and gank coincidental. That's the problem. You're cynical, and I'm, I'm trying not to be. I just opened up my heart last Saturday night for God to do whatever he wants to do in this house, in this season that we're in. And some of you need to know what kind of season you're in so you can steward it properly. Some of you are going to have to chill out with your busy life and put some wood on your altar. God will send the fire, but you're going to have to tend it. Over the Christmas break, I had an encounter with God. Devin can tell you it's a true story. I woke up, and this was one of the days that we had off. I woke up from sleep at 6 a.m. like that, and I knew by the Spirit of God. I cannot tell you how I, know, how I knew other than to tell you God spoke to me when I woke straight up. God spoke to me, and and he said to me, there is a man from Australia. Now, some of y'all going to freak out. Like, how did this happen? I don't even know this man. I've never shaken this man's hand or heard him preach a sermon. I've heard one 45-second audio clip six months ago and have never thought about this, dear brother, since I saw that clip. But I woke straight up out of sleep over Christmas break, and God said to me, you are to have evangelist Tim Hall here. 
host him in Chattanooga. I want him to come in for a healing and breakthrough crusade. And I said, what? I don't even know this man. I started calling people. Have you ever had this man? They're like, I don't even know who you're talking about. The man lives in Australia, church. The down under. I have one friend on social media that lives in Australia. His name is David Hall. I sent a message to David Hall through Instagram. I said, hey man, have you ever heard of a dude from Australia named Tim Hall? He responded, LOL, that's my daddy. True story. True story. I said, I know this is the craziest story you've ever heard in your life. I feel the Lord on me right now. He, I said, I know this is the craziest story you ever heard in your life, but I'm on Christmas break. And while I'm on Christmas break, the Spirit of God woke me up at 6 o'clock this morning and said, Kevin, you are to bring Tim Hall to Chattanooga and have a healing crusade and a ministry out, uh, and a time of ministry. And I said, I don't know how to get in touch with him. Where is he? He said, he's in, a, he's in the bush of Uganda. What is he doing there? It's Christmas. He said, my dad goes all over Africa preaching the gospel in massive crusades and stadiums over two million people have come to the Lord. I didn't know any of this. I called him. I said, when is the soonest you can get to Chattanooga? He said, September or July. I said, that is not what I felt in my spirit. I ain't fixing to wait to know September or July. He said, that's the only two weeks I got off all year long. He called me last week. He said, God, in fasting and prayer, told me to cancel the trip to Fiji. Now, if I'm him, I'm going to Fiji. <laughs> Y'all do what you want to. Chattanooga, Fiji. I'm finna go to Fiji. Come on, be real. He said, in the time of prayer, God told me I'm to get to Chattanooga. Chris, this is a true story. He said, I'm canceling Fiji. I'm coming to Chattanooga in February. I'm telling you, this is crazy stuff. This man is not glitz and glamour. This man is about the fire of God. I don't know what's happening, y'all. But don't pull me back to normal. Don't pull this house back to your normal. Don't sit around and have conversations about when, when we going to get out of this revival mode. We ain't. Well, when we going to have groups, where were you at at 9 o'clock this morning? I want to meet people. Go to Sunday school. Come to Wednesday night. Go to breakout groups. Go to men's Bible study, ladies' Bible study. Invite somebody to go to lunch with you. Smile, Wallace, smile. I'm not ranting. I'm trying to make sure we stay focused. Because when God establishes a conversation and a, and a focus and a vision, it's our responsibility not to change the conversation. He wants to do something in our generation, family. Stand with me. I'm going to show you a video in a minute of Pastor Tim. I asked him if he could send something because I wanted people who never seen him to see him. What's the dates? 
You need to put this on your calendar. It's just one of the many things that are going to happen in these 90 days. I don't know what else. I don't know who else may come. I don't know if we're going to have Thursday night church. I don't know what's going to happen. I am telling you this. My spirit is 100% open to God. I want the Lord to have his way in this house. I want him to have his way in our lives. February 24th, 25th, and 26th. Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, and Tuesday night. Yes, we're having Sunday night church at 6 p.m. 6 or 6.30? 7, sorry. What am I talking about? 6. That would be like three hours after we get out of church. <laughs> 7 o'clock each night, 10.30 that morning. Father, oh, Father, you're looking for a place where you can send fire. Not some strange, weird fire, but just the fire of your goodness, your glory, and your presence. And you will not send your fire until we lay the sacrifice on the altar. Today, God, I don't know who needs to give their life to you. But somebody does. I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you will come in the name of Jesus and draw and convict hearts that need to come to you. You're in this room right now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you would say, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I need to get right with God. I need to give my heart to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you today. But you got to know that you got to know that this is the day of salvation. And if you'll give him your whole life, he'll give you all of his goodness. God will withhold nothing good from those who walk upright. If you'll give him your whole life, he'll consume it with his favor, his kindness, his blessing, his glory. The sweetest life you've ever known is the life that is spent living in his presence. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed if you need to come to Jesus Christ. I don't want you to go home and flush drugs down the toilet. I don't want you to go home and empty out Budweiser's. I don't want you to go home and get rid of your crack. I want you to come to Jesus just like you are. Whether you got millions in the bank or you're broke, busted, and disgusted, whether you're a businessman downtown or a homeless person living on the street, it doesn't matter. Possessions do not mean a person is right with God. Poverty doesn't mean a person is right with God. Only those who have given their lives to him can say, I'm right with God. I'm asking you now, if you need to get right with God, to lift your hand on three. Say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. I need to give God everything. One, two, three. Shoot that hand up right now. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. 
Back there on the back, I see you. Back there on the back, I see you. You can all put your hands down. Everybody right now, help me. I want you to look at the person on your left and on your right, whether you've known them your whole life or you never met them before today. I want you to ask them one question right now. Do you need to go to the altar and give it all to Jesus? If they say yes, I want you to take them by the hand. Come on, if you lifted your hand or you know you should have, when your neighbor asks you that question, get out of your seat and come meet me right here. God's changing lives today. Somebody's tired of living for themselves and they want to live for God. If you lifted your hand or you should have, come out of your seat right now. Ask the person. Thank you, sir. Ask the person. Don't let, don't leave anybody out. Ask your neighbor. Do you need someone to go pray with you? If you lifted your hand or you should have, come on, come on, come on. Come on. I'm tired of living for me. Come on, baby. Come on, sir. Come on. I need some people to get happy about what God is fixing to do right here. Come on. Come on, sweetheart. Come on back there. Come on. Say, Pastor, you don't know how messed up I am. Actually, I don't know, but I know this. God cares about you and he loves you. Come on. I see some Christians that ain't clapped yet. I need everybody to join angels and help me celebrate what God is doing in this place today. Stretch your hands toward the altar right now. I need pastors, elders, prayer team leaders to come help me, please. I want them to be talked to. I want them to know what's going on. I want you to pray with them. People are coming still. There's so much room in this altar. There's room for you today. You don't have to go home and get cleaned up to come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus like you are. You come like you are. Not only will we love you, he'll love you. We don't care where you've been. We don't care what you're hooked on. We don't care what you smell like. We don't care where you've been living. All I want you to know is there's room at the at the table. You you come and sit with us. We call you family. Come on, there's room for you today. Jesus Christ, I love your name, oh God. I love your name, oh God. Come on, take take one more minute. Stretch your hands toward them and pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. why we came to church today. At the cross, at the cross, where I first It was there by faith I received not too late. Somebody needs to come and know that it's not too late. I don't care how messed up. You're not too late. Come on. At the cross. Oh! 
I see wonderful things happening. I want us to go to praising God right now for grace. Somebody help me praise God for grace. Come on. I want you to praise Him for amazing grace. I know you gotta go. I'm gonna I'm be like Moses. Pharaoh, let God's people go. Before you leave, I want you to see this video. Pastor Evangelist Tim Hall is coming to be with us February, and I want you to put it on your calendar. And I want you to be tuned in and locked into what God is doing over these 90 days of refreshing. It's not just gonna happen in the church, it's gonna happen in your house, in your car, on your job. Be sensitive. How many can say, Lord, you can have all my life? I say, how many can say, Lord, you can have all my life? I want you to watch this video. Let them continue to pray, and then we'll be dismissed after the video. Let them keep praying. Show that video, Chad. <laughs> 